Logistics is transforming our lives and the way we do business in today's ever-changing economy. If your company or community thrives on the quality of your logistics, then we'll give you a peek behind the curtains to the topics and people who are driving this exploding industry. You're listening to the Logistically Speaking GT Podcast, produced by Global Trade Magazine and sponsored by the World Economic Development Alliance. You can listen to all our GT podcasts at www.globaltrademag.com or join the thousands that have downloaded our app in the Apple iTunes Store. Now, here's our publisher and our host, Eric Kleinsorge. Eric Kleinsorge. All right, GT Podcast listeners, we're back for another exciting episode of Logistically Speaking. I am your host, Eric Kleinsorge. Now, as I look out my window from our studios here in Dallas, it's actually kind of nice to see some traffic on the roads. They've been a little bare recently with this shelter-in-place order, but with those orders slowly lifting, we're getting back to business. So it's good to see traffic on the roads. And there's no doubt COVID has impacted the way we do business, both locally and globally. We've been fortunate enough to be able to do some webinars with communities and businesses nationwide about reacting to COVID and how it's been a real education on real life and real business adjustments we've all had to make. Today, we're going to dive a little into the topic to help our listeners understand what's happening in our ports and how it's impacting crude oil exports. And we're going to even take a peek into the future and discuss some market trends that have additional impact in 2021. I'm really excited today because we have a returning guest of ours that's joined us back in October of 2019. We enjoyed his content so much, we thought perfect time to invite him back for his take on today's topics. Today's guest is the CEO of Port of Corpus Christi and a great partner of ours here at Global Trade, Sean Strawbridge. So with no further ado, Sean, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Eric. It's uh, great to be back. Yeah, now, Sean, it's not too often we have the chance to invite guests back, so I want to first thank you for taking the time today to spend with our listeners. And it was kind of funny. The last time we did our podcast, we were talking a little bit about drone attacks on the Saudi Arabian oil infrastructure, and now it's COVID. Do these hurdles ever seem to end? Well, certainly back in October of last year when I was on your show last, if you had said that there was going to be a global pandemic, a market share war between two of the largest oil producers, Saudi Arabia and Russia, and uh, Tom Brady leaving the Patriots for uh, for the Buccaneers, uh, I would have been laughed off of your show. But nevertheless, we find ourselves in that situation today. It's certainly a uh, an interesting, perfect storm of crises that have you know, have fallen upon us. Uh, at the Port of Corpus Christi, we are continuing to remain as resilient as we can be. And I think the American oil and gas industry continues to remain as resilient as it can be, although we've seen epic demand destruction globally as a result of the novel coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. And and Sean, now our audience has kind of grown. We've also we've tripled in the number our numbers since COVID. I guess everybody's kind of turned into new mediums and and using their off time to soak up knowledge and information. And so I'd like to start with just painting a picture for our listeners, for those of them that weren't on our last podcast or were unable to listen to it, to kind of paint a picture about you and your background and, and maybe a little bit about the Port of Corpus Christi itself. 
Uh, well, certainly, I think your listeners would be more interested in the Port of Corpus Christi in general than my particular background, but I have been in the infrastructure space and certainly in the maritime transportation space for nearly 30 years and have spent a fair amount of time in a different uh, array of modalities, whether it's uh, containerization, whether it's dry bulk, liquid bulk, break bulk. There's multiple modes of cargo movement and goods movement. And here at the Port of Corpus Christi, we are certainly far and away the largest energy port in the United States uh, and our reliance on the exportation of U.S. produced crude oil, U.S. produced natural gas and the natural gas liquid derivatives uh, that, that come from the crude oil production here in Texas, a finished product as we call it, or refined product. We have seven refineries here with operated by three large refiners, Sitco, Valero, and Flint Hills. So we have a, a plethora of hydrocarbons and all the derivatives that come from that here at the Port of Corpus Christi. That diversity in cargo mix uh, and in goods movement modalities certainly gives us a higher level of resiliency in economic retracements. In addition to that, ports are all about free trade. And trade, as many of your listeners know, has a lot to do also with valuation of currency valuation. So when the dollar is strong, you see imports rise. When the dollar is weak, you see exports rise. And ports are really binary, whether it's imports or exports. Uh, we're really a gateway for the movement of goods from the production areas to the demand centers that need them. So we, we've been pretty resilient through this this global pandemic, but not without uh, effect. And we were on pace to set records this year. We set uh, a record in the first quarter of 2021 in, in volumetric records and certainly records in exporting U.S. produced crude oil with a, a peak that we reached in March of about 1.7 million barrels per day of exports. We've since come off that high water mark and we're now averaging somewhere between 1.2 and 1.3 million barrels a day of crude exports, which is overall probably about uh, close to 40%, not quite, uh, close to 40% of our total, our total annual volume is crude exports. Some other areas that have also been hit, of course, with the demand destruction that we've seen from shelter-in-place initiatives from the COVID-19 protocols. Uh, we've seen transportation fuel declines, uh, obviously jet fuel being the biggest of that as air travel has been curtailed globally significantly. We think that globally about 30% of global demand was reduced in April. We think that was the trough, and now we're seeing some recovery. We're probably now from a low water mark of about 70 million barrels a day globally down from 100 million barrels a day, which is where we were at the beginning of the year. We're probably somewhere in the 80 to 85 million barrel a day range globally. Most of that recovery has been in motor gasoline, uh, motor transportation, ground transportation, fuel recoveries. I think air is still going to be uh, jet fuel and, and air travel is still going to be troubled for, you know, for the foreseeable future. But we're seeing higher highs and higher lows in our volume. So even though we've seen a retracement, we are still tracking at a higher pace than where we were same time last year. 
Yeah, and that that's really phenomenal considering the times we're in right now. And we kind of mentioned too and alluded to over the past several months, I mean, we've seen the oil business all over the place. At one point, I even turned to the newspaper and saw it at a negative value, which to me is just crazy. So why don't you kind of give us a little bit of perspective of how COVID-19 has actually impacted the crude oil exports from the port? Certainly, as you see, demand destruction as people all around the world were employing sovereignties, were employing shelter-in-place protocols, people just stopped traveling. And that's that 30 million barrel a day demand destruction that we saw in just some relative weeks, uh, which is epic. That's never, we've never seen demand destruction globally to that magnitude before. So with that that epic demand destruction, producers, crude oil producers cannot turn back production levels as quickly as we saw that demand destruction. So what we find ourselves in is an oversupply situation, which of course then has a, an acute impact on pricing. Now the, you know, minus 40, nearly $40 a barrel price point that we saw as a result of really more the mechanics of, you know, the Wall Street mechanics of how futures contracts for crude transition from one month to the next. Uh, Nobody certainly thought that you could go below zero. And yet we found ourselves in a very, you know, narrow time frame where contract holders were caught flat footed there. I think at the end of the day, we saw a significant recovery and we're now in the, in the low 40 range, $40 uh, for WTI. I think conventional wisdom says that that most of the shale producers, uh, whether you're small, mid-scale, or the large oil producers, the break-even point, conventional wisdom puts break-even point for uh, U.S. shale producers at right around $30 a barrel. So it, it looks like we're back in the black from a, you know, a profitability standpoint. But during that entire time, Again, we were overproducing, and so now you've got feedstock uh, supply in the United States and certainly globally that uh, exceeds that demand, and it will take many months, if not uh, a year or more. I think you know, we're estimating somewhere between 12 and 18 months for that oversupply to work itself through the, uh, the system. In the meantime, you see Cushing, Oklahoma, which is a big aggregation point for crude oil, uh, at record levels of, uh, of crude storage, more storage storage is being built here in Corpus Christi, and we're seeing offshore utilization of some of the larger vessels, including there are four of these types of vessels, the ULCCs, ultra-large crude carriers, which are, can hold 4 million barrels on, on one vessel. There, I think there's only four of those vessels globally that are active today. Most of the vessels that move crude oil are either called VLCCs, very large crude carriers that can hold a million barrels or Suez Max, uh, sorry, two million barrels or Suez Max vessels that can hold one million barrels per vessel. Those are really the workhorses. And we're seeing some of them being used as floating storage while we were in a Cantango environment earlier this year. Cantango meaning the spot price for crude oil was lower than the futures price. So it made more sense for the equity barrel owners or the marketers, the the trading houses, to sell the futures contract, store the crude oil in vessels, uh, and position those vessels offshore of the continents that they've sold the contract, the futures contracts at. I think at the end of the day, as I say, we're going to have some months to work through the recovery of that oversupply, and that is going to be wholly dependent on how fast people are going to return to traveling. Uh, And again, I think 
motor gasoline has seen a pretty significant recovery. It was down over 45%. We saw diesel down about 15%. Diesel held up fairly well because of the transportation, goods movement transportation. Diesel is used for trucking, for rail, for uh, certainly vessel operations. And we saw still people continuing to buy their goods as they were sheltering in place, which is why we see such an accretive, large accretive impact on companies like Amazon.com. But jet, certainly we saw 90% demand destruction in jet fuels. And I think that it's going to take much longer for jet fuels and certainly the aviation industry to recover. I think that knowledge really speaks to the volumes of the way you guys are forward thinking. And you've always been, you know, attentive to making major infrastructure improvements on your port. So why don't you give us an update on your channel improvement project? Certainly. Uh, the, the Corpus Christi Ship Channel Improvement Project is a project that Congress authorized in 2007. It is a federal project that is being undertaken by the United States Army Corps of Engineers to deepen the Corpus Christi Ship Channel from its current 47 feet to an authorized 54 feet and to widen it in certain areas from a narrow point of 400 feet in width to 530 feet in width, and the addition of what we call barge shelves. About half of our 8,000 vessel moves a year are barge movements, and so we want to make sure that we've got good fluidity and good separation of two-way traffic, creating that two-way traffic for both vessels and barges, first and foremost, to create a higher degree of safety, and second, obviously, to increase that fluidity and be able to allow some of those larger vessels to traverse the terminals that we serve here in a, in a, in a safe and, and fluid manner. That project was, uh, it took a while once Congress authorized it for us to get an agreement with the Corps of Engineers, us being the Port of Corpus Christi. We are what's classified as the non-federal sponsor. The federal government pays a portion of that and the non-federal sponsor pays a portion of the project cost. And the, the, the rough split there is two-thirds on the American taxpayer and one-third on the non-federal sponsor, that being the Port of Corpus Christi. Uh, that project cost is estimated to be right around $600 million. And we've already, it's a four-phase project. We've already completed phase one, uh, which is to extend the entrance of the channel in the, in the Gulf of Mexico two miles and to deepen it to 56 feet up to a place called Harbor Island. The second contract will go from Harbor Island to the La Quinta Junction just past Ingleside. The third contract will go across the Corpus Christi Bay into a portion of our inner harbor. And the fourth contract will complete all of the rest of the inner harbor. That's a total of about 30 miles of channel improvement. And once the channel is improved, Eric, it will give us the deepest and widest ship channel in the entire U.S. Gulf. What does that mean for your listeners? That means that goods can move. We can load these vessels to their optimum loading capacity because today at the, at the more shallower depth of 47 feet, we cannot fully utilize these larger vessels, the Suez Max and the VLCCs. We cannot fully load them, which means then they have to go offshore and we have to shuttle out the remaining volumes to then load them fully laden because those vessels will always sail fully laden. You want to optimize those, those vessels from a transportation standpoint. But that adds additional cost. It adds additional traffic congestion and certainly adds additional emissions, air emissions. And so by improving the channel, we get 
a competitive benefit and an environmental benefit by reducing our traffic and being able to then fully optimize those vessels. Perfect. Now, does that allude to the uh, VLCC terminal on Harbor Island? Well, that's one of three VLCC terminals, uh, the other two being Moda Midstream, which is already in operation today and receives usually somewhere between four and six VLCCs a month. Buckeye South Texas Gateway, which will be loading their first vessel later this month, uh, and will also have VLCC capability, and that's a joint venture between Buckeye Partners, Phillips 66, and Marathon Petroleum and we'll ha- so those three facilities, Harbor Island, South Texas Gateway, and uh, the Ingleside Energy Center, operated by Moda Midstream, will all have VLCC capability. Okay, if if I understand correctly, I'd like to maybe dive straight into Harbor Island. That's a 250-acre planned land grand plan on Harbor Island. If I understand correctly, it gives you the capabilities of fully loading two very large crude carriers, the VLCC, simultaneously. What's the actual status on that terminal? So in order to fully load a VLCC, we will need 75 feet of depth to be able to handle the draft of a fully laden VLCC with a WTI-grade gravity, or we call it an API spec. It will draw 65 feet of water fully laden. And a one-degree pitch on a vessel that's nearly 1,200 feet long and 206 to 209 feet wide at the beam is nine feet. So you need underkill clearance for one of those vessels of about 10 feet, uh, which is why we're going to go to 75 feet up to Harbor Island. The reason why we're only doing it to Harbor Island is twofold. One, that's as far as we can go with it, with what we believe is a cost effective for the for the cost of dredging to 75 feet and two we would not have to then have some negative ecosystem impacts if we went deeper uh, up to Ingleside which is another seven miles past Harbor Island all of that project is currently in the permitting process with the Army Corps of Engineers uh, it's gone through its public comment period now it's uh, going through the vetting with all the various federal agencies the EPA fishing game and and all the other federal agencies that will be weighing in on that particular project, as well as all the public comments that were received. It's our estimation that we'll have the permits for the docks by the end of this year, and we anticipate for the EIS to be completed and the permit to be issued by the Corps of Engineers for the 75-foot deepening sometime in early, mid-2022. So you've been busy. That sounds very exciting. I bet you can't wait for that to take all place. Well, I will tell you, uh, you know, my I used to work at a a very well-run port called the Port of Long Beach in Long Beach, California. And Long Beach, California has the only VLCC-capable onshore terminal in the United States. They've got 76 feet of man-made channel, and they receive a VLCC loaded with either Saudi crude or Alaska North Slope crude from Prudhoe Bay every three days to supplant the Southern California oil production for the Southern California refineries. Most of those Californians, they love their cars. So there's a significant refining complex in Southern California that is fully dependent on waterborne imports of crude oil, again, from either Alaska on a Jones Act movement or from from Saudi Arabia to 
be able to handle all of the uh, the Southern California demand. The irony is California is the least friendly state to the oil and gas industry. And here, Texas, the largest oil and gas producing state in what has now become the largest oil and gas producing nation in the world, it, it is firmly our belief that if California can develop one of these facilities safely and with the, the draconian environmental laws that they have, we can certainly benchmark what they've done, emulate that, and build the same thing right here in Texas. But we're going to do it for the exportation of Texas-produced oil and gasoline, uh, or gas, I should say, uh, to, uh, to meet our allies and trading partners' appetite for, for energy. Man, that, that's just phenomenal. So I always like to wrap up and maybe talk a little bit about the future. So let's take a look, take a look at 2021. So if one of our listeners is looking towards what they can see in the future, what are some of the current market trends that you're seeing that will actually have some impact in 2021? Well, certainly COVID-19 has devastated you know, nearly every business sector uh, not only in this country, but globally. And it's, you know, it, it, we are in a global recession uh, as we speak today. Now, there's certainly some green shoots that are giving us indication of recovery. Asia Pacific, which was one of the early hit regions for the novel coronavirus, is now coming out of their COVID cocoon, if you will. But what we've really seen is a lot of large capital deployment deferrals uh, into 2021 and beyond. So, you know, the underlying precepts of why American oil and gas finds a place on the international markets still remain and will remain. But I think we've just taken our development thesis, our capital placement and deployment thesis, and we've extended it out. So I think 2021 will still be a recovery period. And we are not unlike any of our customers. We have deferred capital placement into 2021 and beyond. And very simply, we just follow you know, the smart guys and gals in the room, when our customers decide they're going to defer projects into 2021 or 2022, we just go ahead and follow suit with them. So I think we'll just see more recovery in 2021. I think we'll also see some reshoring of, of manufacturing. Supply chains were severely disrupted, primarily from Asia Pacific in the early onset of the novel coronavirus pandemic. And as a result of that, we are now talking to beneficial cargo owners uh, who are looking to perhaps diversify their manufacturing base into some regional centers. And with the North American Free Trade Agreement 2.0 or the USMCA now in place. We certainly think that South Texas and Northern Mexico is ripe for some of that reshoring of that manufacturing. We think that's really going to be our next growth potential over the next five years. Man, that's awesome. So there's hope. Oh, certainly. (laughs) So in closing, Sean, we may have some listeners that want to get in touch with you. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you or the port? So our website is portofcc.com portofcc.com and our contact information is on there Uh, my contact information is on there as is the contact information of our external affairs folks our communications folks our business development folks our real estate folks if somebody's interested in uh, exploring becoming a tenant of the port of corpus christi and so uh, very easy for us it's a very user-friendly website 
and uh, I would encourage uh, we've got a lot of information on there uh, as to what we're doing and what's available for further investment here in the region and I would just uh, encourage your listeners to uh, rest assured the Port of Corpus Christi is certainly open for business. Awesome. Sean, thank you so much for taking your time out of your valuable day to spend with our listeners. We've always appreciated your expertise. We've always enjoyed our ongoing partnerships, so thank you for both. Thank you, Eric. You're very welcome. And hey, who knows, we may be fortunate enough to have you on another future episode. So I certainly that, look forward to it. <laughs> with that said, I'd like to thank you, our listeners, today for your time. And I hope you found this episode valuable information that you can use and learn from for your business. Till we meet again, I'm Eric Kleinsword signing off and saying goodbye till another episode of Logistically Speaking. You've been listening to the Logistically Speaking GT podcast. We want to thank all of our astute readers of Global Trade Magazine and thank all of our great advertisers that help make this possible. Remember, you can subscribe and find all our GT podcasts at www.globaltrademag.com. We hope you'll return next time for another great episode of Logistically Speaking. And don't forget, globaltrademag.com's daily news and information is ranked number one by Google.